0: Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. It's clear these days it's tough to make time. Schedules quickly become busy and calendars suddenly become full. To that end, DPC is excited to now offer this podcast channel, which will allow you to hear a recording of Sunday's sermon from that day's preacher. Whether you listen while taking an evening stroll, driving to and from the grocery store, or anytime you get a free couple of minutes, we hope it can allow for reflection and spiritual growth during your week. We also invite you to visit www.dtownpc.org to learn more about our church, our various ministries and online giving opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. A number of years ago, I heard a story, probably a tale of a country preacher who was walking down a road And came upon a dead mule it had been hit by a truck preacher recognized the animal and went to the owner's house both to tell him what had happened but also to express his sympathy upon hearing that message the owner said to him well around these parts someone who finds something like that is expected to bury it and the preacher answered well okay I just wanted to notify the next of Ken. I think for all of us there are times when we choose to act in the appropriate way, given a particular situation, responding with what we can to make a difference, and yet there are those who choose not to do their part, which is one of the th- reasons that this passage that we heard moments ago from John's Gospel is so powerful as it demonstrates those kinds of everyday things that people can do that will be transformed. John is telling of a wedding that happened in the small town of Cana in the first century. He tells us that Jesus' mother was there, as was Jesus and his disciples. We know that weddings in that era had a celebration that went on for days afterwards. And apparently it was as part of that extended reception that the host runs out of wine. Not sure whether Mary goes over to Jesus or is standing next to Him when she hears this, but she turns to her son and says, they have no wine. Now, to our hearing, we could think it was just simply casual conversation that she was making. Maybe she was expressing sympathy for the host of that party, surely this would be embarrassing. But as the narrative proceeds, it's clear Jesus knows that his mother's asking him to do something about it. It's also clear that he understands she's not wanting him to go out and buy more wine. As he answers her, woman, what is that to you or to me? My hour has not yet come. Mary doesn't answer Jesus, instead turns to the servants and says, do whatever He tells you to do. And John says that there are these large stone jars capable of holding 20 to 30 gallons of water. And Jesus says to the servants, fill them up with water and then to draw out what you find and go to the chief steward. And what the servants draw out has now become wine. And when the steward tastes it, not realizing how it has happened, he brings the groom over to offer his praise of what the groom has now brought for the guests. And John tells us that this was the first sign of Jesus in Cana of Galilee. It revealed his glory, and the disciples believed in him. Now, over the centuries, there are all kinds of ways people have chosen to hear and respond to those words. Some view it as a kind of foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper, of Jesus taking these, this ordinary element and transforming it, while others hear it as just the first time that Jesus uses this image of a wedding banquet, something He'll do in the years ahead as He speaks about His return at the end of time. Others view that passage as one that lifts up the abundance of God's care for us, that just as that wedding reception did not need 180 gallons of wine, so does God give us far more than we need or deserve. Still others hear it as a moment when when Jesus is saying my time has not come as as a way of demonstrating that God's timing, whenever it occurs, is perfect. Certainly any of those interpretations are faithful ones to this scene. But what struck me about it was this conversation between mother and son. When Mary tells him what has occurred, Jesus responds, woman, woman. What is that to me or to you? Now, many of the commentaries focus on how he addresses his mother as a way of not, to not hear it as harshly as I think it sounds to our ears, pointing out that when he's on the cross three years later and speaks to his mother, who's at the foot of the cross, he says to her, "'Woman, behold your son,' as he hands her over to the care of the beloved disciple. Others point out that this response, what is that to me or to you, really is a Jewish idiom of that era. And it's kind of a way of saying it's it's not my problem, or some might say that's no skin off my nose. However, it was that Mary heard it. She had acted and then told the servants to get ready. Did she know what Jesus was going to do? I don't think so. There's nothing in the Scriptures to this point that demonstrate that he had unique powers. And so I don't think she expected him to perform a miracle. However, she knew her son. She knew his character. She knew his calling. And so she expected that in some way he was going to help. She simply brought it to his attention, alerted the servants to their help being needed, and then events unfolded from there. I think Mary's part in those events is telling for you and for me. For in all of our lives, there are moments when challenges arrive. It might be relational difficulties or problems at school, It could be a troubling diagnosis or unhappy clients. It can be challenges within a community or a worldwide pandemic. The kinds of problems that you and I face can be greater or less than what Mary was addressing on that day long ago. And yet what she demonstrates is that there are always places where we can respond in ways that make a difference. Perhaps it is calling the situation to the attention of one who, in fact, can address it. Or maybe it's recognizing that the real change needs to happen within ourselves. It might be that we realize it's time for brainstorming possibilities with others or simply to turn to God in prayer. The ways that we do our part will certainly vary depending upon the situation that we face. And yet Mary demonstrates that we should not underestimate the roles that we have to play. I'm sure many of you can recall the images from earlier this month of those cars stuck on Interstate 95. There was this massive snowfall that came quickly and very heavy snow that resulted in a 50-mile backup on I-95 south of Washington, D.C., leaving some motorists, including a U.S. senator, stranded overnight. Many of the articles that I saw at the time spoke about how this had happened or how it could have been prevented, and yet the piece that really got my attention was one that told of this young couple who was caught in that mess themselves, and what they did. As one journalist spoke of a Casey Holahan and her husband, John No. They had been trapped in their car for 16 hours, the journalist said, and by their own calculations, they had not eaten in 37 hours. We could hear that people around us were struggling too, she said. We were starving, of course, but we heard others where children were crying as well. And then they got this idea. Just a few vehicles in front of them was this truck from the Schmidt Baking Company. And they wondered if the driver might not be willing to help part of his cargo with all of these stranded motorists. And so, Casey called the customer service line of that company, and she gave them her phone number. And she said later, I really didn't expect anything to come of it, but what happened blessed her and others beyond imagination. As 20 minutes later, one of the owners, a Chuck Padarakis, called her. She explained what was going on. He asked her to take the phone and go to the driver, a man named Joe Hill, as the owner then said, what he wanted him to do was to open up the rear and to give a packet of rolls or a loaf of bread to anyone who needed it. And so the three of them began unloading the truck. Others joined them and soon they had fed 300 people who were stuck on that highway. And she said that I heard all kinds of stories, of course, as we were going around, and it was the kind of experience that was frightening to be stuck in the dark and the cold like that. But, she said, there was this sense of community that formed that we will never forget. The most memorable part of it, though, for her was the response of this bread company owner. He didn't have to do anything, she said. He could have made money on that situation, but instead, his generosity blessed us all. When he was asked about it later, he explained that this is a family-owned business. They've had it for 80 years. His parents had started it in 1943, and now his three brothers, and he owned it, and he said, we were blessed and grateful that we could help says, our parents had taught us long ago to work hard and to take care of others. And during the pandemic, they had given away 3 million loaves of bread to people in need in the Washington and Baltimore area. And so in describing this particular moment, Chuck simply said, I think our parents would be proud. Doing what we can likely will not result in the feeding of hundreds. I suspect it will not lead to water becoming wine either. And yet, we don't really need to worry about where it goes after we begin. And instead, can simply trust that God will use our efforts in ways that will yet again bless others. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for the opportunities and gifts that you give to each one of us. Help us to remain attuned to the way that we, in fact, can make the kind of difference you intend in the fullness of life and with wisdom and courage, help us to act. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us on your journey of faith. Don't forget to check out www.dtownpc.org to explore all the ways DPC strives to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of his love.